we weren't shocked because the device is amazing. But you know, the FDA they moves it they move at their own pace. It can be expensive. It's a long process, no matter which way you cut it. So what happened, TK, is we got approved by the FDA, but we did not stop going to consumer. We're not. We're still going to consumer, but we're now able to sell to clinics here in the United States. We're able to sell it to hospitals here in the United States, but it hasn't stopped us from going to consumer. So to answer your question, it's both. It's it's to both. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Chi, Sam, uh, Emmanuel, and the rest of the moderators and people on the stage, do you have any question for Gordon or follow-up um, comments on that? I have to follow. Yes, so I just have a quick question because considering the the, the temp, I'm glad that the factor, the skin tone, and how robust. Uh, I'm worried about the robust ro ro robustness of, of 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 such a gadget because actually it would be a very good device if we can empower the community health worker and strengthening their job in assisting within the primary health care sector. How robust can it, is, is, is this device? Uh, can it be factored? Can the temperature within our, from our African perspective, how resist, the resistance and the, and the upbringing, that means the whole um, um, mechanics and the whole uh, electronics of the device, will it fit within the African perspective? Yeah. Great question, Bernadette. The answer is yes. Um, this device um, has been tested in, first of all, there's not a lot of mechanics to it. That's number one. It's very robust. It's, they're really, they're very few moving parts. What makes the device special is the software. The hardware itself, it's not so special. It, yes, it's durable. Uh, it's very durable. But the device has been tested in temperatures and work up to about 115 120 degrees anything over that you have a problem but no like listen i live planet is 105 degrees with 100 percent humidity i mean it's miserable but the device runs you know um so the device is very sturdy it's very durable and it will work uh, for all skin tones and it will work in a very hot and very humid climate because it's not the device itself that's special it's the software awesome thank you so much for that response bernadette i hope your question was answered uh to your satisfaction <laughs> Juma care, do you have any question or Emmanuel? Oh, Emmanuel, go ahead. Oh, all right. Okay, so I'll come after Emmanuel. Awesome. Okay, thank you. you. Thank you. I wanted to ask for somebody like me, um, who is doing research, would this um, device be useful to me, like working with it? Um, the answer is, the answer is, yeah, I mean, let me give you an example, Jumak, uh, is it Jumaki? Okay. Jumaki? Jumaki. Jumaki, very pretty name, by the way, beautiful name. Thank you. Um, it is being used, like, it depends on the nature of the research that you're doing. Like, okay. I'll give you an, ex like, I'll give you an example, um, right now, 
there's um, there's a there's a unit inside of uh, Mount Sinai Hospital, New York, that is called ARC. It's um, it, 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 it it's basically an innovation unit. Um, it's a small unit. It's it's not it's not doesn't represent all of Mount Sinai. It works kind of inside of Mount Sinai. They're using it for research right now. Um, they're 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 using it for um, they're leveraging it for certain studies. Um, one of the things that attracted Mount Sinai to the bite the device is that it was not wireless. That it has a wire, and they feel that older people, like people in their seventies and eighties and nineties, that have COPD. They, they have trouble using a wireless device. You know, I live with my 82 year old mother-in-law and she's not in good health. And like, it was kind of developed for her in mind, even though it was way developed before they knew her, but it, it's really developed for people who are older or for places that don't have wireless, you know, so that, um, so that it's, it's for, it's for ease of use. So I think to answer your question, it just, it depends on the research that you're doing. Um, it, and I know that's not a great answer, but there's so much, there's so many different types of research, but yeah, it, it is being used for research in the U S. So I guess, yes, but again, it depends on what type of research you're using it for. Okay. So, um, why does one get this um, software? You said oxygen dots. Yeah, what happens is it's it's oxygen is life, life oxygen like oxygen is life like breathing is dot io. So what happens is when you when you get the device, you go either into you know the apps iOS or Android. It runs both. It's agnostic in terms of the operating system, and you down and you download it from the app store, and then you just you attach the oximeter, you run the device. It's really beautiful. There's, there, there, there are some videos on it on the website if you want to just see what it looks like and how it runs and what it measures. But it's, it's the only smartphone-powered device of its kind in the world. And it was invented by a, a beautiful a Chinese immigrant who came to Atlanta as a young man and grew up here and went to high school here and went to Georgia Tech. He's an engineer. He's not a doctor, but he invented this and it's beautiful. We're just trying to get the word out to the world like, hey, we're here and this device can be transformative. So I appreciate y'all, you know, uh, have, you know, being your receptivity to it because it really is a beautiful device. Thank you very much, Gordon. I'll have a look at it. Thank you very much. Awesome. Emmanuel, do you want to go ahead with your question? Uche, I see you. Uh, you, I would have you speak after Emmanuel. Thank you. Okay, well done, um, Gordon. That was really amazing. While you were speaking, I quickly went to the website to see uh, what the project is about. And I'm quite impressed with the work you have put into um, this, this particular product. Now, my question is very simple. The interface and the device do you require some special form of training or some sort of guide to be able to use them? Because if we are looking at um, very educated people, okay, what kind of people are you looking at to use the devices? Because a very fantastic user interface and non-complex -comp um, transitions 
mix um, whatever device or software uh one of the best sellers so I, I i i could not determine that from what i saw on the website so i would like you to clarify how easy is it to use the software or the device can someone who has no internet experience whatsoever pick up it and use it effectively it's first of all it's a very good question emmanuel and um it's something that has come up in discussion like like i'll give an example um i had to to, to download the software from my mother-in-law because she's 82 she's just it's not easy for her to go into the the apple store and download she forgets her apple id so so i had to download it for her once it was downloaded she figured out how to use it intuitively it was very 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 easy it it, it truly is because it it prompts you like it and 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 if you to set it up is so easy if you have an ios if you have ios or if you have android there's in other words the setup for ios and android are both included in the box so uh, but there, 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 there are some people who, if if they know how to download an app, then they don't need any help. There are some people who do need help downloading the app. There has also been some discussion with some of the doctors about the idea of like um, um, providing support to download the app for to show them how to do it for people who are maybe may not be tech savvy to download an app, but. Once the app is downloaded, no, it is so, it's very easy. It's very intuitive. Um, the, once, once it's plugged in, it just says initialize, you know, it says insert your finger. So you insert your finger. Then it says initializing information and then it starts. Then it gives you your readings. It gives your, your blood oxygen, your heart rate, your perfusion index, your respiration. And it's there, it's right there. So it's a really good question, um, but we're finding that if they need help, it's more in the downloading of the app than it is in actually using the technology once it's downloaded. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Gordon. Um, Uche, if you're still there, could you unmute your mic, introduce yourself, and uh, if you have any comments or contributions or questions, please do so. Yeah, thank you, Kike. Um, sorry for joining late. I'm actually dressing up for work. I'm on night duty today. So I'll just make a very quick uh, contribution or question, then I'll run out. Um, to other members of the of to other members in the club, sorry, my name is Uche, and um, I'm a medical doctor and practice here in the United Kingdom. Um, I've listened to what Gordon said about the product. I've also tried to do a very quick Google to check it up. It looks very, very simple, I must say, and it's quite nice. My only concern is how does this fit to the average African population? I trained in Nigeria. I worked in Nigeria as a public health physician before immigrating to the United Kingdom. And I'm fully aware that the majority of our population, especially those within the rural areas where you have the majority, may not be able to use this. Um, 
so it becomes a bit hard and the issues here are um affordability of the device itself and again the literacy level as well well that's a great question and you bring up an incredibly good point yeah. and one of the things that that people are considering like there's a, uh, there's a group out of thailand that they're they're not going to use the device for the consumer what they're going to do is they're going to arm their uh for lack of a better term clinicians and by the way most many of these people are not trained um, they're not trained doctors, but they go out to the field to monitor. So some, some, some of the, some of the people that we're discussing with in the development, yes, they are going to limit it to like, okay, we have these group of, we have these group of workers who go out into these remote areas to monitor people's health. They're going to use the device for that reason. They're not going to be giving it to, let's say, the villagers or or to the city or to the the community that may be in that remote area. But it allows the healthcare worker to go out into that area and to use the device just to uh, kind of like see where people are. You know, especially with COVID right now and the whole blood oxygen thing and the whole shortness of breath thing, um, you know, it's, it, it helps. So yeah, you bring up a really good point. It may not be appropriate for certain consumers. You're absolutely right. It may be more appropriate for the met up for the, for the providers, but we're, we're kind of, we're, we're still feeling our way around right now. Um, early with, uh, a, a, you know, a clinic in Ghana that is, that is looking at it uh, to administer healthcare to their to their patients. If that makes sense, but you're bringing up a really good point. Uh, thank you very much, Gordon. Uh, I was also to come to that about um, using it in our community health centers and um, health service posts and uh, primary healthcare centers, which we usually find within these rural areas. So I think if if it's something that's uh, local council governments and um, state governments could actually buy into it would be a very good um thing for them to do because when we have these in all these um um primary health care centers and health care outposts which you find in these rural communities being being manned by occasionally semi-skilled uh semi yeah, semi-skilled health care workers the ones we call community health extension workers and and their lives those ones I beat, some are literate, some are semi literate, and they'll be able to, with proper training, to use this on the general population. So I think that's that's a very good place that your company should also focus on. But the point is how to penetrate the market, especially in Nigeria, how to get our politicians and health policymakers in these rural areas on board to see if, if it's something that they can actually buy into. But I've looked at the device, I've looked at some of the functions, and I can say it's quite good. Thank uh, you. Uh, well, I'm going to move back to the audience because I want to give other people a chance to talk. Um, if anyone, and, and I am going to move back to listen because we care deeply about this issue. Um, if anyone, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, like I'm not on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, the, all the other stuff. I'm on LinkedIn. If anyone w would like to, reach out on LinkedIn or get information, please feel free to do it uh, through LinkedIn. And I'm going to 
I appreciate everyone's interest, and I'm going to move back to the uh, to the audience to give other people an opportunity to talk. But thank you so much for uh, welcoming me into your room. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gordon. We're actually nearing the end of the room. This room is supposed to run for only 75 minutes. And so um, I have one last uh, question for Sam, which is about the um, for private practices, uh, like doctors who want to just implement telehealth in their practice. What would you say uh, should be the first step in implementing it? And how do you think you can best support a doctor in this room who wants to um, start a telehealth side of their practice? Great question. Let me ask one clarifying question. Uh, for those doctors in private practice, um, are they being paid directly by the patient or through, a, through some kind of government payer? Um, let's say directly from the patient to get paid. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. I just always, the clarifying questions are so important because it's so unique to each one. So for a doctor in private practice, what I would be looking at is um, I would first look at uh, a low cost technology that um, has, um, has like experience in the African market. And there are plenty out there. There are different ways those can be looked at and decided, but that's where, that's where I would start. Then me as the provider. So like when I work with my clients, I would then be looking at what are the first, you know, again, five or 10 things that you're comfortable to treat. So if you're a primary care provider and you say, look, I'm very comfortable to treat either through text messaging or video, and each one doesn't have to be exactly the same. You could say, I'm comfortable with these 10 things via text message, and I'm comfortable with these other five things via video. I would be picking to begin with 10 particular diseases, illness, whatever your thing is, that you are comfortable to treat at a distance. And then I would actually work directly with um, the, the, the doctor to determine what are those 10 things? How do we, we, we've already selected the technology, then we've selected the first 10 things we're gonna treat, and I would work with them to have clinical protocols for each of those so that not only themselves, but anyone who works in their office knows exactly who we treat by text or video and how we do it. And then I would have actual marketing like a script or different handouts or again, however I communicate with my patients to tell them that I have this new type of service that I'm offering. I would also have a process where I would actually actively contact my patients who might meet the criteria for the particular illnesses or disease states I want to treat through telehealth. And I would tell them this service is now available. Um, and then I do very in-depth training, clinical demonstrations, all of these things to really get you ready. Because although there can be a concept of, oh, everyone will just figure it out, it doesn't work that way. So you really want to have a lot of in-depth training and also making sure that my patients know either how to download the app, how to find that 
particular, you know, visit, that link, how do I do it? So I'd have resources for my doctor and for my patient to make sure that everyone um, really knows how to use it. So it's a real step. I call it like a, a telehealth go live plan. And it's like these 11 steps that we're working through regulation, uh, tech selection, the type of clinical things that we are going to do, the actual training um, of my staff to make our guidelines. Then we do actual mock patient uh, runs. We have all of our marketing materials, our, all of our information that's not only for our office staff, but for our patients. And then we start the program. And the ways I can support people, you, my DMs are open. I do different kinds of support for docs in, in private practice. So always happy to have a conversation and see if I can assist people and if we're a good fit. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. Uh, that was very clearly um, explained. And um, I think, you know, I look forward to opportunities with you in the future, um, especially in Nigeria. Uh, with that being said, I'd like to um, conclude the room in the next few minutes, but I want to give the rest of the speakers on the stage to give their final comments questions to Sam or adios, whatever you choose. Uh, Ifeko, do you want to go first? No, I think, thank you very much, Sam. I think we just need to just keep on progressing, moving forward. Uh, it's be also good to see how much of this can also be included more within clinical trials, which is obviously where I fall in. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. Uh, it's be good to see more of, you know, telehealth being done, uh, you know, across Africa as well. So thank you very much, Sam. Thank you. And thank you, Dr. Kike. Awesome. Awesome. Chi, uh, do you have any final thoughts? Yes, I wanted to ask Sam while Gordon was on stage, but I can still ask now. Um, generally speaking, what is the, in your experience, Sam, what have you seen as the utility of devices that can give patient data, especially basic patient data, such as O2Stat, respiratory rate, heart rate, and whatnot, uh, in the primary provision of care. So this is the second time now we've had a device uh, uh, talked about in this room uh, that can help um, in, can help pr to provide care at a distance from a distance right to patients so patients whose vitals you cannot in take in person this is the second device that we've been informed of in this room and just like the last time it was hard to see the um utility of such a device unless it was being monitored or um, dispensed or mo monitored by a healthcare provider. So you have these devices, you have patients who, in the population who have them and they can measure their O2 sat and then what? So at the end of the day, I think uh, the question Uche asked, um, is critical. Um, I think it was a tree that asked the question that led to the response about um, a case study where 
the organization that's purchasing the devices is using it. Um, they're giving it to health coach type people to take these assessments and then report the numbers to the healthcare provider. But a long-winded question, but a, a question nonetheless to say, um, have you seen where, you know, the utility of such devices and when you're deploying telehealth in, um, in areas that are, um, you know, where you have a lot of people who, for whom the information is useless unless there's a healthcare provider monitoring. Yeah, so gee, it's a great, it's a great question. And um, I think when I look at any devices that are around biometric data devices, those are applicable in a chronic disease setting. And it is imperative, uh, or not setting, but chronic disease. It is imperative that someone monitors the data. Um, and we see it all across the United States. Remote patient monitoring has become the giant trend, especially in the last three years, because there's a reimbursement mechanism for it. But I always say remote patient monitoring is incredible. You have pulse ox, you have weight, you have um, you know blood pressure cough, you have all these great things, and you have question sets that you ask the patient about their disease state. For example, a heart failure patient or a patient with COPD. The thing is, though, if no one is monitoring the data, then all the money, the time, the technology is irrelevant. So it is super important that if you are attaching these, these biometric data devices, someone needs to a, want the data, they need to use the data, and there has to be a clinical workflow and a clinical process for someone to be able to take action on that information that they're getting. So um, I think your question is very, very valid and something I see a lot. There can be this concept that tech will just magically make all these things happen, but if it doesn't fit in clinical workflow and it's not actually a data need for that particular appointment, let's say, for that particular clinical encounter, then it doesn't really make sense to have the devices. So I am much more, I always come from a place of what do we have? We find the tech, find the solutions, and find the clinical pathways to meet what we need. Thank you. Thank you. That answers the question. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. And okay. If you don't mind me just saying, I think uh, what Sam just said is very, very critical. So obviously for us, obviously in clinical trials, obviously, you know, we always work with what is needed. Otherwise, you just be collecting irrelevant data. Um, so yeah, what Sam just said is very, very important. And obviously the investigators are able to obviously determine what's significant and what is not significant. Otherwise, the statisticians will not be able to obviously analyze the right data that is needed. Thank you. Very well put, Ifeoko. Thank you so much. Emmanuel, do you have any final thoughts, comments, or questions? Yes, so I I particularly like um, the fact that this discussion would be very robust and cuts across various sectors of healthcare. And um, I, I'm more concerned about how the people in the rural areas can access some of the solutions we are proposing 
And uh, I, I like the fact that some of the solutions that um, Sam proposed can reduce two or three G, and that is fantastic. So I I I, I didn't want um, or, or look forward to seeing that more solutions that are being proposed for healthcare across the world, considering mobile internet data access is not up to fifty percent globally. Um, we we able to uh, you know help people in rural communities who are majorly most of the people that are in the globe right now. So I, I just want to make it a, a closing note that um, a lot of people are doing a lot of fantastic things, which is quite commendable, but they should also consider that um, people in rural communities need to get some of the solutions too. And that is very fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you so much. Uche, if you're not already at work, <laughs> unmute your mic and give us your final comments or contributions or questions. Thank you. Hello. Uh, sorry, I'm actually driving to work now. Um, I, I, um, I have to apologize first for joining late. I got the notification late in the I was actually having listened to most of our contributions, I'm so much glad that there seems to be a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of hope somewhere about making healthcare accessible to everyone. And at the heart of my own passion is getting the unreached, the socially deprived in our community and those who may not have access to healthcare, for whom I think um, we are trying to reach the gap and reach them through technology or other means so that we can have healthcare for all. So I think our conversations will continue as we begin to explore ways of getting everyone on board until the day we'll be able to achieve healthcare for everyone. Thank you very much. Help me. By my uh, Uche, you were cutting out a little bit. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, we 